0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament's third and fourth rounds on the way. BetOnline is the number one spot for all the updated odds and info and the 2022 bracket contest. Texans fans can head over to the website or use their mobile device to sign up today and get a 50% welcome bonus using the promo code BLEAV. B L E A V. Bet online, where the game starts. Good. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Believe in Houston Texans podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 22nd. I hope you all are having a fantastic Tuesday or Wednesday or however and whatever date it is that you may be stopping in. We've got a great show planned for you today. Later on, we're going to talk about a couple of moves that happened across the NFL, not as so much as they relate to the Houston Texans, although the Matt Ryan to the Colts move is kind of interesting there. But We'll kind of recap everything that happened in the last week, considering that the episode that we did on Deshaun Watson is available as kind of a bonus episode, and that's where I wanted to start again today, is around the Deshaun Watson news, because this has been an incredibly, incredibly fascinating, disappointing heart two weeks when it comes to the developments in the Deshaun Watson situation and not in such a way where it was shocking but the response to Deshaun Watson getting everything he wanted out of this situation and leveraging multiple NFL organizations against each other in order to get a fully guaranteed four-year contract with the fifth year granting him no financial penalties Because they've set up a contract where he only makes $1 million next year in anticipation that the NFL is going to suspend him. And it's really, really good for labor and also really, really gross because Deshaun Watson is the person able to leverage all of his power and being uh, the power of being an NFL star who changes economies the same way we talked about lebron james changing economies of cleveland with one fell swift move and it's unfortunate that the situation had to happen on the be- on the backs of him still facing legal you know allegations by 20 legal a civil court case being brought on by 22 women 22 of which we know by the way we know there are more people according to jenny vrentas and great reporting done by Sports Illustrated and later the New York Times about this story and we know that there are more victims in this case who haven't brought their stories to light and Deshaun Watson on the backs of sexually predatory behavior ends up in a, he ends up being the person who gets to leverage all of this situation because he's a quarterback and because he was going to leave the Houston Texans anyways. Like we talked about on Saturday, the Houston Texans aren't the most fascinating party in this story. I think Deshaun Watson being able to leverage that amount of power, the Cleveland Browns who decide, or the Cleveland Frowns as I'm trying to start calling them, the people who compromise their morals and ethics and were enabled at every turn. And by the way, we'll make it in such a way that none of the parties involved will have to answer for their decision other than the statements that were released on Monday when it came to the Deshaun Watson story. And I'm glad that a lot of people are starting to see through the mud a little bit on these statements and the little bit of eyewash that the Cleveland Browns have. Now, taking the statements at face value, if you wanted to... Believe the Cleveland Browns did their due diligence and ignore the fact that the lawyer Tony Busby for the 22 women pointed out that none none of the NFL teams called him or any of his clients in trying to understand the situation a little bit better. I think everyone pretty much understood where the bar was. They were enabled to compromise their morals and ethics in this situation to get a and to trade their entire future of their franchise give up more trade capital than any team has ever given up for any single player in the history of the NFL I know you can articulate Herschel Walker or any example down the line but more trade capital than anyone has ever given up for a single player and it's for that player who happens to be a sexual predator So we've talked about all of that already, but one of the things I wanted to add on to here is the moral and ethical conflicts of NFL fans in the case of the Houston Texans. Because we don't know how involved or not involved the Houston Texans were with the NFL. Ironically, the Texans get to be the team who looks the best out of this situation because they were the team who wasn't willing to play Deshaun Watson while he had the ongoing legal investigation, which again, they could have at any time. I don't know what deal was worked out between them and the NFL in such a way where they were going to just eat $39 million, pay Deshaun Watson to not play, wait a year, and now they at least have their draft pick. Because all of this was made more complex by the fact that they were already tanking, but didn't have any draft capital in 2021, and they just had to sit on Deshaun Watson as they made David Cully the scapegoat for a one-year season where they were trying to get the highest pick in the draft organizationally. And they ended up getting the number three pick in the draft because it's really hard to guarantee yourself the number one pick in the NFL draft, especially when Urban Meyer is doing some of the things that Urban Meyer was doing in Jacksonville. It's really, really hard to get lucky enough to get the number one pick in an NFL draft. And so the Houston Texans... Look good coming out of this situation, but similarly to what we talked about with the Brian Flores situation, just because the Texans look like the best party involved here doesn't mean the Texans are the allies we can point to and say they are doing things the right way because the Texans did the best they could under this situation where they were going to trade Deshaun Watson, anyways. There were reports back in March of 2021 before the legal part was brought to the surface that Cal McNair and Deshaun Watson were at a breaking point and Cal McNair was not going to welcome back Deshaun Watson and you would rather move on and try again with a new quarterback and then the legal matter made it more complex and the Texans didn't have any contact with Watson and so the whole situation flamed out and everyone decided to just move on instead of trying to fix the situation or make things ugly with Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson was already willing to do the holding out. Deshaun Watson was willing to do the trade thing. He just had to go into silence because he had an appending legal investigation open against him. And so all of it was really complex and really gross. And the Houston Texans come out of this as the team that I guess was willing to trade Deshaun Watson, but it's such a low bar to hit because their reward for doing so was three first-round picks and a fourth-round pick and, a th- you know, I-, I think they swapped picks later. But the point still is, like, three first-round picks was the incentive it took for them to eat all of that money with Deshaun Watson and take all of the negative PR hits and just be quiet, For months and months on end, and then once the legal situation was resolved and teams were willing to trade for him again, just be open to listening to offers and just letting Deshaun Watson do whatever he wanted. Which, if there's a moral stand there and they're going to willingly sacrifice, and I'm not saying that we have to ask our corporations to have morals and ethics, although I articulate that we should Ask our corporations to have morals and ethics if that's the type of society that we want to build, and we're going to make the NFL and the Houston Texans an accountability system for the actions of Deshaun Watson. All of that to say, if the Texans are going to make a moral stand there, they decide to just sit on the Watson case until whenever the NFL decides to. Because the NFL, I mean, if we're going to ask the Texans to be arbiters in this situation, you could point to. Roger Goodell and the other owners as leaders in this situation, instead of asking Cal McNair, who famously, his first job with the Houston Texans as an assistant to the owner was to basically just play video games in the owner's office. This is a credible report done by Sports Illustrated. This is a real thing that exists. And you're asking the team pastor and the Patriot Way guy to come in and compromise or and you know, stand on morals and ethics when the fate of their franchise rests in some part based on how they handle this Deshaun Watson trade, which is incredibly difficult because the systems have been created in such a way where Deshaun Watson is going to be enabled and protected, and the Texans don't have to answer difficult questions because we don't have difficult questions to ask the Texans other than what due diligence did you do on the Houston on the trade of Deshaun Watson and the only thing they can say is teams were willing to offer we were in an impossible situation we didn't want to have this around and so we traded him now they didn't want to have him around because of the trade request before but I think the last year sealed the deal for them because they had to just eat it across the last 12 months they had to eat it when it came to his contract they had to eat it and not talking about him they just had to eat it and the NFL I don't know what deal they struck with the NFL to make that such a case but the Texans just had to be the bigger people in this situation over Deshaun Watson and that's really really weird because them being the bigger person over Deshaun Watson and not making this uh, a petty feud where they they fight to withhold his money that was better for the image of the nfl and it didn't get us talking about the texans pretty much at all over the last six months when it came to this watson case and that's really fascinating because the texans get to walk out of this looking more scotch-free than the other parties involved and while it's not pure intentions and they had the incentive to do so because they basically if you want to do the cold calculation from september through now i mean you can go back to march of last year as well but september when they decide to just sit deshaun watson and pay him 39 million dollars to not play instead of the nfl taking it out of their hands and putting him on the exempt list the texans had the incentive to just eat their words Sit on this case, and at the end you will be rewarded with more draft capital than any trade in the history of the NFL. And by the way, you get sold short because Deshaun Watson picked the teams that he wanted to go to. So whatever offer that team gave, and whatever deal Deshaun Watson decided to go to, that's what the Texans got. Because the Texans had no leverage in this situation other than to say we have to approve any trade before Watson interviews the Browns or interviews any of those NFC South teams. Like, they didn't have any say on that situation. They just needed all those teams to submit trade offers that they were willing to approve. And the Texans surprisingly did the best they could under that really, really bad compromising situation. And at the same time, they get to look good coming out of this and I don't know if they should because they are the team that traded him even with matters still open but I think we all kind of understand from that point of view which is if you don't want this thing around anymore and you don't want to you want to absolve yourself of this problem well then you do it and this is the difficult part because we all understand the idea of wanting to take decisions out of our hands a lot of that is what moral arbiting is about as we figure out where we draw moral and ethical lines and we try and create systems of accountability as sports fans because I know Cleveland Browns fans are really going through this moral conundrum right now. I know saints fans. Uh, We talked to Morgan from Australia on the take it easy podcast, which I encourage you all to check that out because it was a really heartfelt conversation about this situation. And all of that is a more all these fan bases have to make moral and ethical compromises when we don't ask that question of the houston texans because we kind of understand wanting to have the situation absolved and yes the incentive for the texans was if you absolve yourself of the situation you get three first round picks but deshaun watson is more valuable than three first round picks And that's the part that's really difficult for the Texans is that you're selling him for less than what he's worth, but you're just getting what you can to try and get out of that situation. And I don't know exactly what the process was there, and I know the Texans aren't doing that out of the goodness of their heart. I know the Texans are doing that because they are incentivized to do so in order to get their three first-round picks as quickly as possible so that they can jumpstart a rebuild. And by the way, it's a trade that's going to be instrumental in the Texans rebuilding their franchise. As we said before, they're in year three of a five-year rebuild. I know that they, they had the incentive there, and yet the Houston Texans wiped their hands clean of the situation without really ever having to answer questions about the process of this and maybe the Texans will be the team that blows the whistle on this situation or more likely the Texans will be the good soldiers who do what the NFL asks and what the NFL has asked for the most part is don't talk about the legal matter of this situation don't talk about the moral and ethics of this situation. Let's talk about what Deshaun Watson's trade value is and how good the Cleveland Browns are going to be next year. And I know Mina Kimes was talking about on her podcast with Jenny Vrentas how, because of the way the system is set up in a male-dominated profession and a profession where the NFL has ordered specifically their corporate partners to keep the keep it moving, you know whether it's Adam Schefter tweeting out some messed up stuff about the case and trying to make it go away or NFL media's coverage of this and what Deshaun Watson's trade value is. All of it has been either a moral or ethical compromise or just a a disregard for morals and ethics, which, by the way, a lot of people do. Like, I'm not saying that people are not morally flexible in this situation. It's just I am less morally flexible when it comes to this situation than I am for... Say a case where we're talking about a suspension for drugs. Like, that's something where morals and ethics are way more flexible for me because I don't feel like drug policy is correct in the NFL because they're trying to be moral arbiters in a situation that doesn't require that much moral arbiting. And in this situation, they're trying to avoid being moral arbiters on a situation that very much requires moral arbiting if the NFL wants to be wants to have a personal conduct policy and wants to stand on the ground of we are going to hold people to a higher standard than the law because we believe in moral and ethical stances when it comes to intimate partner violence with Ezekiel Elliott or Josh Brown or when we're trying to stand or, or Kareem Hunt even to a certain extent, although the the league kind of had that taken out of their hands by the Kansas City Chiefs when they cut Kareem Hunt, but the Chiefs didn't value Kareem Hunt as in such a way where he could have survived that situation. And by the way, who was the team that signed Kareem Hunt? The Cleveland Frowns, which that situation... Kareem Hunt showed a weird level of contrition because he was found pulled over in a car crying because he threw it all away and he apologized in that case. And it's at least showing contrition will buy him some. And he got suspended and we can't hold that on him forever because it was a one-time thing. When we're talking about predatory behavior when it comes to Deshaun Watson with no accountability and he gets everything he wants and he and the Browns will not have to answer real questions from NFL media, the NFL has created a power structure in such a way where they don't have to answer to those questions, and people will still buy their product. And that's a really weird situation, because similarly to how the Browns and Deshaun Watson are not going to have to answer for this case, it looks like the Houston Texans aren't going to answer for this either. They'll just get to collect the draft picks and use them as a way to start the rebuilding process. Because now they have six first-round picks over the next three seasons. And that's the way the Texans are going to kick that rebuild off. And eventually we'll talk about what the draft picks symbolize, even if the draft picks are coated in a little bit of blood on the hands and blood on the cape. Because all of this was incredibly, incredibly dirty in order to get to a place where the Houston Texans could wipe their hands clean, not have to answer any more questions, and just move on. And that's a really understandable place to be. And as I mentioned before, I'm not saying this because the Texans did this in a we want to be done with this situation. That was part of it. But they also said we can be done with it and we get three first-round picks when right now Deshaun Watson holds negative value to us because he's getting paid $39 million to not play and we have to take the dead cap hit this year instead of taking it in 2021 but at least after a year of delaying we could finally move on and absolve ourselves of this situation so like i said before the texans aren't the most interesting party in this whole situation i think the teams that traded for him or wanted to trade for him are more interesting in terms of the moral and ethical compromises. I think the NFL as a system is a moral and ethical compromise that is really interesting to talk about. I think the legal aspects are incredibly fascinating, and I think Deshaun Watson getting to use all the power and leverage in what I've been calling a sports story of a generation is all incredibly, incredibly fascinating. And the Texans also slide in here because they had all the incentive to absolve themselves of the situation and... They did as soon as they could, and I can't really blame them for it because the system is the way they are, and we all want people to take the moral and ethical decisions out of our hands. Like, this stuff is really hard. Legal systems are already not equipped to handle it, and there are hypocrisies at every turn, and I understand the Texans wanting to absolve themselves of this situation at the earliest point of convenience because it also incentivized them to get those draft picks. This show is presented by Athletic Greens. We've told you about Athletic Greens before. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to get your body right. Athletic Greens is one scoop in a cup of water every day. And that's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. That's 365 days worth of Athletic Greens. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can also use the link in the description to this episode. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So let us circle the wagon around the NFL real quick, because last week on the Believe in Texans podcast, we talked about the Jaguars tax and the Jacksonville Jaguars being in a position where they got... They got essentially enough players with all of their available cap space to be third in the division, and it's only because the Texans are tanking, and it's not a huge victory for them because they're still one of the three or four worst teams in the AFC. All of that is also still true, but then that was before the AFC also added Matt Ryan and Devontae Adams over the past couple weeks, or I guess over the past couple days. So let's circle back to the Devontae Adams trade In the first place because similarly to what we talked about with the incentive I don't think a wide receiver has ever gone for as much as what Devontae Adams got traded for now there can be an argument to be made that there's never been a wide receiver available as good as Devontae Adams although I'll point to 27 year old DeAndre Hopkins being available in 2020 when the Texans dumped him on the Arizona Cardinals for basically nothing in the first of many moves that would signify the dismantling of the Texans organization and the beginning of a five-year rebuild. And the Odell Beckham trade in 2018 with the Cleveland Browns, would one could argue at the time, was a larger trade than what Devontae Adams is because Odell Beckham had just signed a giant extension. He was still in his early 20s or mid-20s, I guess. He would have been 20. 5 at that point and being traded to the Cleveland Browns was two uh, the equivalent of two first round picks which is more they got more in that trade than what the Packers got in exchange for DeVonte Adams it was essentially Jabril Peppers who was one year removed from being a first round pick and Dexter Lawrence this time the Raiders gave up a first round pick and a second round pick to acquire DeVonte Adams and I don't know if Texans fans had you know, flashbacks to the DeAndre Hopkins trade, and obviously the Texans gave him a big contract before, and the Raiders had to sign the $29 million record-setting deal for Devontae Adams, even though apparently the Packers offered more, which I'm not sure, unless we have a dollar figure behind it, I'm not sure how to take the report other than at face value and say it the Packers might have offered more but Devonte adams wasn't going to play for the packers anymore but that also seems like something the packers would leak after the fact to make their trade look a little bit better and green and to also smear Devonte adams on the way out but the trade was interesting because they gave up 170 or 141 million dollars plus two premium draft picks in order to move off of Devontae Adams. And while the DeAndre Hopkins trade was clearly an undersell, like the Texans clearly could have gotten more for DeAndre Hopkins, this feels like the Raiders are going to end up getting burned by the trade. And not just because like it's $29 million a year, and they can navigate the cap in whatever way they do, but $29 million a year, whatever they do with the salary cap to make the salary cap number work, plus they also gave up two premium draft picks that they won't get to use. The same way the Texans last year didn't have any premium draft picks because they got rid of both of them in the Laramie Tunsil trade, (laughs) which is crazy. Their top pick last year was Davis Mills in the third round. But the Raiders are going to get rid of both of their premium draft picks. They're going to get Devontae Adams, and it feels like that was a lot, but not just because they gave up all that, but because historically over the last 20 years, If you're taking the Packers versus the Raiders in a trade, there's a pretty good chance the Packers are going to win and the Raiders are going to lose. It's just a pretty good point. It's a pretty safe point to make. But this is fascinating for how we value wide receivers in the NFL, and the Texans are involved in this in the same way, which I was talking about a second ago, how much is a star wide receiver worth when we're observing like Stephon Diggs gets traded for a first-round pick and he becomes exponentially better because he has Josh Allen at quarterback instead of Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins. And Mike Evans is a great wide receiver for all these years, and then he breaks touchdown records once Tom Brady becomes his quarterback. And we see Keenan Allen improve with Justin Herbert. And wide receivers six through 15 are all pretty close together. Like if I throw out two names of wide receiver ones that we think are premium players, so we throw out, say, Mike Evans as wide receiver six, and I throw out, say, A.J. Brown as wide receiver 15, there's not a whole lot of difference, we think, in our evaluations between Mike Evans and A.J. Brown. A lot of it is fit, and a lot of it is circumstance, and so how much does a premium wide receiver value, especially for a team that doesn't have one? Like, the Miami Dolphins have never had a true wide receiver one, and they're hoping Jalen Waddell is going to be that. They traded two first-round picks for Jalen Waddell to be that, and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, but, like, the Jaguars have been desperately trying to find a wide receiver one, and The Dolphins have been desperately trying to find a wide receiver one, so how much would they value getting a guaranteed wide receiver one? I think the Raiders are also in the same camp now that I think about it, because they tried to trade for Antonio Brown, then they got Darren Waller to be essentially a wide receiver one, and Waller got hurt last year, and so Hunter Renfro had like more yards than Stephon Diggs and as many touchdowns as Mike Evans. It was ridiculous how good hunter renfro was last year given that he looks like hunter renfro but for a team looking for a wide receiver one like how much do you pay to guarantee a true wide receiver one because wide receiver ones sometimes play up or down to the quarterback level that they're with it's why i think even though Devonte adams and Derek carr are living together and they were college teammates i think you're going to see a decline in production for Devonte adams In Las Vegas, I could be wrong, but I do think you're going to see a decline in production for Devontae Adams combined with the fact that he's 29 years old. And what is going to happen if you want to guarantee a wide receiver one? How much are you willing to pay for it? Because we don't know exactly what the number is. But if we view most wide receivers like six through 15, like there's five stud receivers and maybe Devontae Adams is one of those five stud receivers even into his 30s. It would defy all wide receiver logic, but maybe Devonte Adams continues to be a stud well into his 30s. We don't pay as much as the Raiders paid for Devonte Adams, at least is the conclusion we can make right now. Maybe it works out, but we also get more than what the Texans got for DeAndre Hopkins so if we're trying to answer the question how much is a top wide receiver worth the answer is somewhere between those two maybe it's what the the Stefan Diggs trade was because I still say that's the most even trade in the history of the NFL where the Bills got Stephon Diggs for a first round pick a first round pick that became Justin Jefferson and straight-up trading Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson when both of those franchises were at the points in time they were. With the Vikings, Diggs was already requesting trades and ready to leave. And in the case of the Bills, desperately trying to find a wide receiver one because they tried the Antonio Brown thing too, and Antonio Brown just simply refused to play for Buffalo. Both of that those worked out perfectly there. So maybe that's the valuation there is... A wide receiver one is worth the opportunity to acquire another future wide receiver one. Or it's worth a first-round pick. And the Raiders gave up not just a first-round pick, but a second-round pick and the largest contract in the history of the NFL to a wide receiver. Second deal I wanted to talk about here before we head out on the Believe in Texans podcast is, of course, Matt Ryan going to the Indianapolis Colts. I think the Colts were already the favorites in the AFC, but that more has to do with the fact that I don't like the moves of the Tennessee Titans. And I think that if Derrick Henry isn't the same player he was pre-injury, because Derrick Henry came back super early from injury last year and was incredibly ineffective in their playoff game against the Bengals. And by the way, they almost still beat the Bengals. Like, I'm not going to say they were terrible there. They almost still beat the Bengals. Even with Derrick Henry essentially being the equivalent of the backup eighteen-wheeler Deonta Foreman, and I don't know if Derrick, like Derrick Henry, is getting to the place where running backs' bodies break down, but I know Derrick Henry is always is and has been for the last three years like the exception to all of the running back rules. Like he will be a Hall of Famer. Just because he is so much bigger, faster, and stronger than everyone else playing the position. And it's the most remarkable thing that has existed in, well, I guess a couple of years, because I still say Todd Gurley is the greatest running back I've ever seen. But Derrick Henry's pretty much right up there as like a generation's greatest running back, the only running back in the NFL who can single handedly. Change the fortunes of his team the same way. Aaron Donald is the only defensive tackle that can single-handedly game change for their team. Like Derek Henry, is the is the lifeblood of the Tennessee Titans. Whereas for the Colts, the lifeblood of the Colts is Quentin Nelson. The lifeblood of the Colts is. Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner and you can find a whole bunch of great things about the Colts and also their cap flexibility and their ability to draft better seemingly than everyone else or at least hit more often on draft picks at least with the Colts I can find like five all pro caliber players who seem to give the Colts a competitive edge and that is a pretty remarkable advantage for the Colts to have I think that that leans better for them winning the division next year, although I could be wrong because the Titans and Colts are also, you know, I think I can name like eight teams better than the Titans and Colts right now, but that's just the fact that the AFC South would be the worst division in football if the NFC South didn't also exist. So all of these teams are in really weird positions, and all of these teams are are, one of them is going to get the playoffs. The, the AFC South very clearly is going to be a one playoff team conference this year, unless everyone in the AFC West or AFC North beats each other up and they all end up nine and seven, and the Titans win tiebreakers. Because for some godforsaken reason, the Titans always seem to win tiebreakers. I don't understand why the Texans or the Titans always seem to win tiebreakers, but they just always seem to win tiebreakers, and. Maybe that's a weird way that it works out, but there should only be one team from the AFC South that makes the playoffs this year. My bet would be the Colts, because at least Matt Ryan gives them a measure of stability. Like The difference for me between Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz is negligible, but I also understand why the Colts make the upgrade from Matt Ryan to Carson Wentz, because Matt Ryan, even if he's old, is a safer bet than Carson than the Carson Wentz experience, which was... Sometimes he's going to throw 180 yards and three touchdowns in the first half against the Buccaneers, and then come out in the second half and throw 90 yards, no touchdowns, and two picks, and you're going to lose a 17-point lead that you had to the Bucs. That was the Carson Wentz experience. Matt Ryan has had similar types of experiences, and Matt Ryan is not the same player that he once was, but Matt Ryan's also not completely washed like Big Ben. I've called him the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan because the rotting corpse isn't quite dead yet. The rotting corpse of Matt Ryan does still have something left in the tank. And I'm glad that he's going to a place that does have a good offensive line. Maybe it'll they'll get to the playoffs and they'll disguise him the way they, that the 49ers disguised Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs. But this was a move that the Colts 100% should have made. And by the way, Matt Ryan was in favor of making this move because of apparently once... The Falcons were, you know, alienating him because they tried to trade for the sexual predator. Matt Ryan said he only wanted to go to the Colts, and that's a great situation given the Colts were also the last opening available. Because it seems pretty clear to me that Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, is still one of the top 20 quarterbacks in the NFL, Baker Mayfield is going to be a backup somewhere. Or he's going to end up on the Carolina Panthers. Like, the Panthers are going to get either Jimmy G or Baker Mayfield. And the other one is going to be a backup somewhere. Unless Jimmy G, for some godforsaken reason, starts for the 49ers. Which I just can't comprehend the decision-making. And people defending the decision-making. I just can't comprehend if you're going to give up three first-round picks on Trey Lance. It basically means you've given up on Trey Lance at that point. I mean, not like it's over for Trey Lance. But I just... It, it defeats the whole purpose of drafting Trey Lance is not playing him as a rookie. Cause the great hack to the system is the rookie on a, the rookie contract for the quarterback. But that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. I appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in to the believe in Texans podcast. We have episodes every Tuesday and bonus episodes. If there's big news coming in, if the Texans trade a draft pick, Obviously, the last two weeks they've been around the Deshaun Watson news, first when no charges were brought about on him, which was going to speed up the process, unfortunately, for NFL teams to decide to trade for a sexual predator with 22 open uh, open accusations with people putting their names on it of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment. But the trade was going to happen. The trade did happen a week later, and then we break into news then. So we'll have breaking news stuff if something big happens. In the meantime, check out all of our other podcasts here on the Believe in Texans podcast. You can check me out over on Take It Easy every single day. And the way I wanted to finish this off, since we talked about the Titans before, is playing a clip that I like to save for very special occasions. But because today was a day where I talked about how I don't believe in the Titans... Part of the reason of the backstory on this was that in 2019, when we first started doing this whole podcast thing, one of the best takes I've ever had was if the Titans bench Marcus Mariota for Ryan Tannehill at two and three, they will make the playoffs. And not only did they make the playoffs, they ended the Patriots as we knew them and then beat Baltimore in the first game or in the divisional round, the year that Lamar won unanimous MVP And Baltimore was literally unbeatable the entire season. But then, ever since then, I've been doubting the Titans, and I would have not re signed Derrick Henry, and I would have not re signed Ryan Tannehill, and I've just been doubting the Titans ever since. And part of that was saying last year that the Titans were maybe the sixth best team in the AFC who happened to get the number one seed, and it was just terrible that they got the number one seed because they didn't deserve it, even though they had the best record, even though they had the same record as the Kansas City Chiefs. They technically had the same record. So to cap off today's podcast, here is me being loud right about the division rival Tennessee Titans in 2021. Number one, this, this, this was the easiest one to do, although I love me some Patrick Mahomes and I love me some Aaron Rodgers. This is far and away what I'm rooting for the most on Super Bowl Sunday, which is number one, anyone except the Tennessee Titans. That is my number one Super Bowl matchup. I want anyone to play in the Super Bowl other than the Tennessee Titans. It can be the Chiefs. It can be the Bills. It could be the Cincinnati Bengals even. It'd be weird if it was the Cincinnati Bengals, but let it be anyone other than the team I have said consistently is the sixth best team in the AFC. So my number one Super Bowl matchup is get the bleep out Tennessee Titans. I'm just fascinated that the Titans wound up with the number one seed. Uh, that was <laughs> bizarre. I mean, this is the thing that I've said all week, which is I, I know there are tiebreakers, but the tiebreakers are wrong. The tiebreakers were just wrong this year. That the Titans are the ones beat over the Chiefs, and the Eagles got in over the Saints. Both of those tiebreakers were just wrong in doing the analysis of who's a better team. Because I know. The Chiefs, w- the Chiefs could go to Tennessee tomorrow and be seven-point favorites, and well. the fact that they have to play the Steelers on Wild Card Weekend is unfortunate. I- you take that away from the Titans, they are essentially what the Bengals are, what the Saints are, what the Chargers are, and what the Broncos are just by taking away Derrick Henry, and so that is why, even with the easy strength of schedule, the Titans were always going to be in jeopardy because They can be beaten on any given Sunday, and I know that's a cliche, but the Titans can't score points. It's the same way the Steelers are, where I wish the NFL could have gone to 16-team playoff this year so that the Colts could have played the Titans in the first round, gone into Tennessee, and beaten the Titans. Because the Colts are better than the Titans, the Bengals are better than the Titans, the Ravens with Lamar Jackson are better than the Titans that team wins because they get that turnover margin, and I get to be proven right in spectacular fashion that the Tennessee Titans are incapable of scoring points. Is that the schedule does not matter. Yes, the Chiefs may have a really difficult strength of schedule, but the Kansas City Chiefs are still really, really good. The Titans may have an easy schedule the rest of the way, but they're also not very good, so they're going to lose some of these games. Because the Tennessee Titans, as we talked about with the Saints comparison earlier, they're about the level of an average NFL team.